Hi there, and welcome to the Homeschool Sisters podcast. I'm Kate, and I'm a homeschooling mom doing this homeschool thing right beside you. I don't have it all figured out, but one thing I know for sure is that homeschooling is a lot easier when you have a sister by your side. Join me and other down-to-earth members of the homeschool community as we share the reality of what this homeschooling journey is really like. Hello, sisters. I hope you're doing well. Today, I would like to talk to you about one of my passions, which is lazy unit studies. Lazy unit studies are something that Kara and I used to talk about with regularity when we first started the podcast back in, I think it was 2016. And my kids were itty bitty then. And it's been really neat starting the podcast again this season. And so many sisters out there have been writing in and leaving messages and asking questions for updates about various things. And one of those questions that I've received from sisters out there is, do the things that we did then, that we talked about then, do they still work now with big kids? I touched upon this a little bit in the last episode where I talked about picture books and how you never outgrow picture books. And I know in the early years, I was all about coffee and books and I would write articles on it on my site and Simple Homeschool and Sisters. And we would talk about it. Kara and I would talk about We had a bunch of episodes on reading aloud and what do you do if your kids are wiggle worms and all of this. Do you still read aloud to big kids? And I can tell you that I do. Are they all together? No. Is it every day that I'm reading aloud to all three of them? No. Teens, teens, it gets tricky because there's a million interests. They have to be, I basically feel like an Uber, but I read daily to my youngest who is still here. And I read as often as I can. I always imagined that we would every morning be doing this, which is really not realistic, but I also share things with them that involve reading. So like an article that I saw online that made me think of them or one of their interests. And this is something that two of my favorite humans ever to have been on this earth, my great aunt Ruth and Blanche, who I'm going to talk about a little bit today, they used to do with me. But this was back before email or anything like that. I would go to college mailbox in the mailroom and I'd have an envelope from them with an article or a newspaper or a magazine that they saw that made them think of me and something I was interested in. And I loved it then. But now, all these years later, I realize how amazing it was they did that for all of their nieces and nephews. And I'll get into that. My whole point is that I have had a lot of sisters out there ask, does the read aloud still work with big kids? And the answer is yes, but it's different. And another question I get is, do the lazy unit studies work for big kids? Teens can be tricky sometimes. They can be a little fickle. They maybe don't think you're as cool or want to hang out with you as much. Can you still follow those rabbit trails with big kids? And so that's what I wanted to talk about today. I wanted to talk about what lazy unit studies are and how you can do them at home. And just to assure you that this still works with big kids, it just looks different. And that's all of homeschool, right? I've had a bunch of guests on the season, Christy and Camille and Rachel, and just talking about how kids get older and it, you have these moments where you're thinking, oh my gosh, next year is middle school and it feels so overwhelming. And how am I going to homeschool middle school? And then before you know it, you're there. And it's just like it was last year, but a little bit different. Same thing for high school. It's not like you cross this line and all of a sudden it's hard. You know what I mean? You're ready for it when the change comes. If you're new here and you didn't hear about lazy unit studies before, when I use the word lazy, I want you to think simple. And here's why. When I first started homeschooling, we didn't plan to homeschool. And so I just found myself there and I had have a very unique little guy. He was twice exceptional and it was more pronounced in the early years. So he had some strengths, but then some real learning challenges and areas that we were working on. Some sensory stuff, some anxiety, some attentional executive functioning, controlling your body. We were in OT, all that stuff. In the last episode, I talked about how in the early years, it can be helpful to think about routines versus schedules that some of us start off and we try to recreate school at home and it doesn't work. If it does work for you, that's awesome. But if you're you're in that situation and it feels harder than it should, it can often be easier to develop a routine and to have that routine around something that's either very important for education in general or for your family. 
So for us, the first thing we did every day was to read aloud, and that became the spine of our homeschool. And it played a big part in lazy unit studies that I'm going to talk about. So when I first started homeschooling, I did the thing where you try to have a schedule and we're going to do math and we're going to do reading, and it backfired. It didn't work. Surprise, because school didn't work for the little guy. So then I eventually switched gears. I knew that reading aloud is such an important part of your day that you can get any information from reading. And that when you're reading aloud and you have younger siblings, they're also benefiting from it. So I knew that was something that I wanted to incorporate in our homeschool every day. And I knew also that having a very busy guy who was constantly in motion and talking, I wanted to follow his interests because I knew that if he was interested in something, it was going to help with that attention. And so as I'm researching, was thinking to myself, like unit studies would be perfect because you could do all these various things on a topic that he is interested in. Now, the trouble that I ran into was twofold. First, he had really unique interests back then, like very specific tailed lemurs, like not any other lemurs, but the ring-tailed ones, the Humboldt squid, the cuttlefish. And it's really hard to go into a library and get a lot of books on a Humboldt squid. I've talked about this before, maybe on Sisters, but I know in other places too. But there was one time that I actually did make a unit study on the Humboldt squid and I was like so excited about it. I love rabbit trails. I love finding information and fun little tidbits and fun facts. And I created it, but when I was ready to go all in with it, he had moved on to Greek mythology. And I think that happens a lot with young kids and with unique learners that some kids are just interested, hyper-focused on one thing for a while. And then it's, that has passed. And now I'm going to go on to this other entirely different thing. And then we have some kids who are interested in a whole bunch of things all at the same time. And then if you're homeschooling multiple kids, are you going to get multiple unit studies? Are you going to create them yourself? They're incredibly time consuming. If you have created unit studies, they can be so fulfilling when you create something like that for yourself and you do it with your children, it can be so fulfilling. But if you spend all of that time and they're no longer interested in it, that's a bummer. <laughs> And also, if you're going to purchase unit studies, that gets costly. And then if you purchase it and they're no longer interested, that's extra painful. What I started doing, and I didn't even realize I was doing it until later when I had a blog and I had the podcast, which I still can't believe anyone read or listened to. <laughs> but when you have the benefit of hindsight, when you've been homeschooling for a few years, you can be like, oh, this is what we do. This is what works. And what worked for our family was something that I started referring to in the house as lazy unit studies. And I'll talk about them, but I want to tell you how and why this is what worked for me. And it's because of the great aunts that I mentioned at the top of the podcast. And I think you'll love the story if you haven't heard it before. But I didn't really know my grandparents growing up. They were gone when I was young. But I had these two great aunts, Ruth and Blanche, who were my favorite humans, like seriously the best. They were two sisters. They never got married. They always lived together. They grew up outside of Boston in a time where women didn't really go to college, let alone higher education. They both did. And they went on to become educators. My aunt Ruth was the oldest sister. Ruth went to college and grad school, I believe, and then was teaching, was a teacher for decades in a city outside of Boston and was beloved, absolutely beloved. And her younger sister, Blanche, went to Tufts. First of all, here's a story. If you are a parent of a quirky kid, a twice exceptional kid, I just want to share this story. So Blanche was double grade skipped in elementary school. I didn't know this until she had passed away, actually. She was double grade skipped in elementary school and she never talked about it. But when people would bring it up to her, she would credit Ruth for the double grade skip because Ruth read to her every single day. So it like ties into my whole philosophy on education. I just think it's really neat. So she was double grade skipped, brilliant woman, went to Tufts for undergrad, studied economics. Then she went to Stanford 
and got her master's. And then she went to Harvard and got her PhD. And she taught at a bunch of different universities, but she was at BU for, I think, 22 years. And she was a professor of labor and economics. And she self-published a bunch of books back before people even did that. And just absolutely brilliant. They were both champions for education. They rooted for the underdog. They really wanted all of their nieces and nephews to go on to do whatever it is that they were interested in. And they would also focus on the girls. You can do this. You can do exactly what the boys are doing. They never got married. They always lived together. Big Irish family, both of their brothers, my grandfather and his brother passed away really young and they had a bunch of kids. Ruth and Blanche, they essentially helped raise 10 kids that weren't their own and would give them experiences. My dad's family was in, lived in poverty. They got experiences through my aunts that they wouldn't otherwise get. They went skiing. Somehow they found skis and brought eight kids skiing. I'm telling you that because when I was growing up, Ruth and Blanche would show up at our house often unannounced, which is bananas now because I don't think people do that anymore, but they would show up at our house and they always had a book for each kid. And the book was usually used, smelled thrifty. If you're a book lover, you know what I'm talking about. It would be a used book. It would be inscribed and it would be something that, that each kid was interested in. It was specific to each kid's current area of interest, which is amazing in and of itself. My parents would be like, oh, you didn't have to do that. And Blanche would always put her finger up in the air and say, money on a book is never wasted. And I 100% embrace that philosophy <laughs> in my life today. I just live it out for Blanche. So they would bring us a book <clears throat> on something that we were interested in. And they would also bring some sort of little trinket, nothing expensive or anything. It, like those little balsam wood gliders that came in the little envelope, little kites, slinky. Do you remember those little frogs that you would squeeze the bulb and they would hop marbles, jacks, yo-yos, things like that. They would come with a trinket and they would get down on the ground and play with us with these trinkets. And it was only later when I was an adult, really, when I was in grad school studying education, where I really, I always appreciated it. Their visits were my favorite. But I realized they were playing with us, but they weren't just playing with us because they would teach us things in conversation while we're flying kites or flying gliders or making the little frog hop across the kitchen floor with the little squeezy bulb thing. They'd be talking about physics and math and they'd share stories and we'd learn history. It like really amazing. And they would also take us, I think it was like once a month, they would take us someplace on a field trip without our parents. We went to every major university in the Boston area. If they were having some sort of special exhibit, they took us there in Neverboard Learning. In March, we had a botany-themed month. And in our monthly playbook, I included the Harvard glass flowers. And I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but you should look them up because they are absolutely amazing. They took us little kids to see glass flowers at Harvard. <laughs> if you look up and you see what it is, you're going to be like, like, what if we broke it? But experiences like that, if there was a, an exhibit at Harvard, we went to this really cool thing at MIT with building like architecture. They took us to museums. They took us to the children's museums, science museum. They took us to historical sites in and around Boston, the Freedom Trail, Paul Revere's house, the Old North Church. But they also took us on fun little adventures where we might go to the beach and go tide pooling or race boats or floatable rafts and fly kites at the beach, things like that. They loved the ocean and talked to us. And they talked to us. They were interested in what we were interested in. They listened to us. They spoke to us like we were people. We were. But I think a lot of times if you grew up, like when I grew up, I feel like a lot of adults talk to you like you were a kid. But with my aunts, you were on the same level and they were like really interested in you and your interests and your learning. And even in college, I'd get my mail and they'd be like, hey, Kate, this made me think of you. I can remember being on swim team in high school and they would find some random story about some swimmer someplace or someone back in history. And they would send me articles at home. I wish I had saved them all. And they did that 
where every single is a great niece or grand niece and nephew. And there was a lot of us. So to think about how amazing they were to do that is just mind boggling. I know that they never thought of homeschooling, but they would have loved this. They would have been all over it and they would have been the best substitute teachers. But anyway, I'm telling you this because essentially what Ruth and Blanche were doing with us over and over was doing lazy unit studies. And that's what I try to infuse into our homeschool that I have been trying to do over the years. I'm telling you this because I was a good student going through school. did really well, was in honors and advanced placement classes, went to a good school district, did well in college, did well in grad school. I've been on a bajillion field trips, so many lessons, so many classrooms. There's some I can remember, some stand out, but I can't remember a single field trip, a single experience or conversation or lesson in school, a single documentary, a single experiment in half as much detail as I can remember a bajillion of experiences with Ruth and Blanche. We're talking like core memories. They once took us to a house made of paper. I think it was in Rockport, Massachusetts. I have a picture of it and I'm teeny. I can remember it in such vivid detail. And there are a million instances where I could do that. And there's this quote that's one of my favorite quotes of all time. And I want to, I wrote it down so that I wouldn't butcher it. It's by Alfred Mercier. And it is what we learn with pleasure, we never forget. And the thing is that Ruth and Blanche never lost their curiosity. They were joyful, curious, lifelong learners. That passion that they had for learning was contagious. You couldn't not be interested in things when you were with them. And they took interest in what we were interested in and would think of us when we weren't around. And there was a lot of us and send little things and they'd show up with books. They were encouraging reading. They would find a book on a passion of yours. Like I didn't even remember saying that to them that I was interested in whatever it was at the time. It was just so special. You felt so valued and listened to. And so early in our homeschool journey, and I don't even know that I was aware of this when school at home didn't work. And I knew that books were important and that money on a book is never wasted. I would start with that book and then I'd add some play just like they did. The hippity hoppity frog, the balsam glider, and we'd have conversations and we'd have experiences. And I valued whenever possible, it's harder some seasons than others, what my kids were interested in. And I tried to live like Ruth and Blanche did, to be a model of joyful curiosity and lifelong learning. There's not a day that goes by in my homeschool that I don't think of them. I've always thought of them, but I feel like since homeschooling, it's just, I wish I could talk to them because they would think this was the coolest thing ever, even though I'm sure it's something they never even thought of. Because if it wasn't on my radar, I doubt it was on theirs, but they would be the best substitute teachers. They would be the best person to get like Hey, do you know of a place? They knew every place. They knew how to like zip around Cambridge and Harvard Square in their car. Like they were teeny little old ladies and they were like, always lived in Cambridge and just, they were the coolest. And I wish you could all meet them and that we could all have a chat. My whole point is that they were my first lazy unit studies. You take an interest, you add a book, and then you layer on additional learning until you're not interested in that. And you know what? No big deal. Cause that's life, right? You have the next interest. You take a book, you take some play, you add some experiences, and you just layer on the learning while the interest is there. You have conversations, you value your child's interests. And then when it's moved on, you move on with them. And it almost sounds too simple. It almost sounds lazy, right? Because I'm not really planning ahead. When I talk about lazy unit studies, I'm not planning ahead. I don't know what my kid is going to be interested in. It's not something that I can, in September, write a six-week schedule of what we're going to be covering. And it can change by the day. So I could tell you that sometimes we've had lazy unit studies that were a day. We did a real deep dive in something, got lost in something. It was a day. And then we've had others that have gone on for whole seasons. And each one was important in its own way because what you learn with pleasure you don't forget. So I know I've told the story here before, but I like it because it's like 
history. My boys in 2019 got really into a game called Memoir 44. This was right before the pandemic. They got it for Christmas, played it throughout the pandemic, obsessed, saved up, got expansion packs. Every single time we visited my father-in-law, he was flabbergasted. Like He loves World War II history and was just amazed. Where are they learning this? And really, it was the game that's prompted the interest that led to the books that they got at the library and the books that I would tuck into my bag at the library and just leave on the coffee table. And the documentary that I'd be like, oh, did you know this was on Curiosity Stream? And they'd be watching it. The conversations they would have with each other. And I've told this story before too, but I was a good student. I studied World War II and I'm sure I got, I was in AP history. I'm sure I got an A, but I can't recall any of, not to the level that they can still. And they've moved on from Memoir 44. It's not that they don't like it, but they're just doing other things. But they have retained a level of knowledge about World War II that I don't have. Do you know what I mean? And it's because it was that sweet spot that they were interested in it. And the cool thing about lazy unit studies is it doesn't have to be something overtly like academically educational as World War II. You could take something that seems like so not educational and it could become educational because honestly, anything, any interest can have a variety of different subjects involved in it. So years ago, we go to a community pool and years ago, there was a family who was moving and there was like a little community space in the cottage area and they left some books and they left some games and they just left it for kids to play with during the summer. Like we're moving. If you can use these, great. In there was a balloon animal making like a carnival balloon art kit that my oldest at the time, I mean, this is years ago, got really into. And I hate balloons. Like I have like, like such a strong aversion to every aspect of a balloon from the sound it makes to the smell to the the way that people like are constantly bopping each other with it. You're just waiting for it to pop and then it breaks and or flies away and someone's crying. I just, I've never liked balloons. Even as a little kid, I just, I don't like them. I don't know if something happened, but I, <laughs> I just hate them. But he was so into it and he got so into how to make them. And not only that, but he was providing them for a bunch of younger kids and trying to create things that weren't in the book that some kid would be like, can you make me this random thing? And he would try. And a lot of times he would succeed. And sometimes he was unsuccessful. He would help the kid who's crying because her balloon sword popped. He saved up to buy more balloons when he ran out of them. He was watching YouTube videos. He had to learn. So then he was like this balloon guy and the younger kids knew it and they wanted to learn. And it's hard. Teaching is an art in and of itself. And he had to teach younger children how to make things with the balloons and help them work through it. And it was such something that you don't think is quote unquote educational. I think he learned so much from that experience, not just things about you could talk about the art of balloons and the science of balloons and it's like balloon stem, but also just socially and emotionally and, you know, how to teach others and how to be patient and how to be empathetic when someone's, it's just, it taught him a lot. And there are a million and one instances of that was probably like a, you know, a month long. I wouldn't even call this a lazy unit study because it was summer, but it was an interest. And it was an interest that I was not at all interested in and was really avert didn't want to, had an aversion to, but knew that I should just embrace it and that it would run its course as they all do, just like the Humboldt squid did and Memoir 44 did. And he learned from that. And I think a lot of times as parents, we're, we were just grew up to think that some things are educational and some are not, but I think everything can be educational. Everything can be a learning experience. What I learned with doing these lazy unit studies and having the hindsight of being able to say, this is what we're, oh, I'm doing what Ruth and Blanche used to do with us and referring to them as lazy unit studies because I'm not doing any pre-work. I'm not doing a lot of prep. I don't even know what we're going to be doing next month. We'll still be on this or something entirely different. 
So lazy just means simple. I think that with a lot of things, simplicity, I think often some of the best ideas we have are the simplest ones. I think the simplest ones are the easiest ones to stick with. I know that I hear from a lot of homeschool parents that it's hard for them to be consistent, that it's hard to get back on a routine after their kids have been sick or there's been a school vacation or a holiday and consistency can be really hard. I think consistency is a lot easier when you keep it simple. When you have a routine, like you wake up and you read books and instead of planning a huge, big shebang unit study, you just say, okay, what is he interested in now? Okay, let's go to the library and we'll get some books about that. And if he's still interested in it, let's look and see if there's a documentary or is there a museum nearby that has something or is there a virtual field trip? We always include a list of virtual field trips in our playbooks on each topic because it's we're so lucky to live in an age where we have the internet at our fingertips and we can just virtually, I know in this post-pandemic age too, there's so many virtual field trips online. So, you know, stick with the interest, value their interest, stick with it until it has passed and know that all of this learning builds on each other. So your kid might get really into ocean animals for a while and then leave it for years But because they were so into it at that time and because you valued it and you worked with that interest, when they get to high school and they're studying biology, they're going to remember a lot of that information because it was fun. And it's that quote, that Alfred Mercier quote, what we learn with pleasure, we never forget. So if you're looking for some examples of what some of our lazy unit studies have looked like in the past. I told you about Memoir 44 and the balloon animals. There was one season where my daughter was really resistant to math. We actually had a couple seasons like that, but she was also really into dolls at the time. And she was pouring over the American Girl catalog and saving up her money and seeing which things she was going to purchase. And so I did a months-long unit study on American Girl math (laughs) and like what she could buy with, if she wanted this and this, how much would she... She was so into math when it related to purchasing of American Girl and this expensive here. And then we took out, I forget the name of the brand at Target that's like American Girl and we would compare and she'd be like, hey, like, That makes more sense to save up for that because if I save up for the target version, then I can get this and this. And if I say, and I could get it sooner because it's not as expensive for both versus American Girl. So we had that. Um, My youngest was really into rotting logs and like the whole ecosystem of the rotting log. We, that was a big rabbit trail. We used to go looking for rotting logs in the forest, which they're There are plenty around here and study all the various bugs. And so we'd go on log hunts. We had, I think it was from, where's the company? California something. There's a science company. We actually ordered a rotting log that we had a little like terrarium on our counter for a while. My husband loved that one. That was a big long one. There was multiple ways we could go with that because we learned about insects. We learned about worms and moss and the difference between them. We had a huge thing where all three kids were really interested in fairy houses. They were reading those awful books, the rainbow fairy books. They were really into those and we did fairy houses. And then Portsmouth, New Hampshire has a fairy house contest in every year and all the schools participate. And Tracy Kane, who wrote a bunch of books on fairy houses, was there. So my kids got to meet her and create their own fairy houses. That went on forever. And there is so much art and nature and STEM involved in creating those. And then you can talk about whether you're doing the traditional fairy house, which is only the natural materials, or if you're bringing in some, doing some upcycling, and there's tons of books out there on there. That lasted for a long time, and all three were into it. We had a whole village up in our backyard. We had a friend had to, I was think was had an interview or something and I had her kids here and we did a whole thing. That was a really fun one. And again, you'd think like fairies, that's not educational, but we worked so much, so many different subjects into that one. 
one of my favorites that went on forever was Animal Tracks. So we got into the Jim Arnonsky books. In this book, Wild Tracks, he has a bunch of photography of various animals. And then he will include like a life-size animal track from that animal. So there was a bear print. And this is, when I tell this story, this is not going to be every lazy unit study. We have had real major flop. Okay. We've had some that have just been, I thought they were going to be lasting and they just weren't. And some that one kid really wasn't digging, but I'm telling you like a highlight. So this is like the Instagram highlight. So they got really into the tracks and they were taking turns, putting their hands over the moose track and the bear track. I forget what else was included in there. And so we've always love to hike. And especially when they were younger, we had so much time to do that. That was a lot of our homeschool education was being out in the woods in nature and just noticing so much of science just came from natural observation of just being out in the woods and noticing how the seasons change and the flora and the fauna and all that. But at this stage, they were teeny and they were like, let's go out and find a bear track. And so I'm like, sure, let's go. I just wanted to get out of the house because that was always a goal every day to hike every day when they were younger. So we go looking for tracks, which was something we did. We would find deer track all the time. And it was muddy. I think we were having a winter thaw when winter wasn't over, but it got muddy. There had been some snow and it was muddy. It had melted a little bit. And we hiked for a while and we were doing other things, but they were looking for tracks whenever they'd get to stream or whatever is where we usually have best luck finding them because it was muddier. And I kid you not, and I'll include a photo, although it's not a great photo. They found a bear track. They found a bear print and it's hard to photograph a bear print. So it's not a great photograph, but it was a perfect, the entire foot. And I took a photo of it and I sent it to the teacher at the time who did a local homeschool nature class and also worked with the public schools. And she's like, where is that? Where did you find it? So I gave her a location. And for an entire week, because she was texting me that whole week, she was like, no one here at the nature center has seen such a perfect bear track before. And she took every single class to it so that they could see it until it rained and then it was washed away. That's what are the chances. But if things like that, like trusting your kids and following their lead, you can find some cool stuff and have some cool memories. Like they're never going to forget that because their teacher from Nature Center was like, this kid found like the best bear track ever. And all the people at the local Nature Center are like, way to go, you guys. Like that's the best. You're making all these core memories, I think, when you are learning joyfully with your kids with what they're interested in. And then people ask me like, what about for older kids? And I can give you one example recently fairly recently, I have mentioned before that my youngest does not like to write. He is fantastic with stories. He's got an amazing imagination. He can tell you the best stories. He talks all the time. He's got a fantastic vocabulary, reads nonstop, but does not like to put pencil to paper and the physical act of writing. But he loves games and he loves stories and he loves fantasy and he loves monsters and spooky things. And so he got really into Dungeons and Dragons. And I actually, this was a couple of years ago, I enrolled him in some out school classes. He and his brother actually both of them. And one was on being a dungeon master. So it wasn't any writing, although it did end up having some stealth writing because they needed to take notes and like prep how they were going to be the dungeon master. One was on campaigns and creating your own campaign. And I don't know, I had no experience with Dungeons and Dragons growing up, even though I was a gamer. The role play games were not something I was exposed to. So I knew very little about it. And there is so much storyline and character development and improv and thinking on your feet and problem solving and math because the dice, there's so much involved in that you don't even realize. My boys were so into it. And so they wanted to be dungeon master. They wanted to create their own campaigns because some of the campaigns are expensive. So if you create your own with your friends, there was so much writing in that and not just writing, but even just making maps. So I just wanted my youngest to be using the pencil and paper so that his hand was getting used to it. And so he, even the drawing of the maps that he created through that, I ended up enrolling him in a course the following year called Druidon. And Druidon is not Dungeons Dragons, but is very very similar. And the course is set up such that you write first and based on your writing output, I forget the criteria, you 
you level up your character and then they play this game together during the class, but they also discuss what they wrote about. That is taking a passion. A lot of people would be like, Dungeons and Dragons, what? But I can tell you that there were so many subjects involved in that creating your own campaign. And it was working on an area that has long been a pain point in our homeschool that he would just like butt heads with you over for many years. And so that's an example of what it can look like. I always tell everybody, if you want to be successful with this type of learning, these lazy unit studies, you have to have four mindset shifts. And the first one is that you need to step out of the public school mindset entirely because this isn't the way we learned in public school if you went there. So you have to try to just turn that part of your brain off. You have to be confident in the fact that you don't need to know it all. Whatever interest comes your way, you just need to know how to look for information. So you need to know where to find books, where to go to find good documentaries or movies or what's going on at the museums. Ask a librarian like, hey, my kid's interested in this. Do you know of anything going on? You don't need to know anything about it. I knew nothing about Dungeons and Dragons, but I was able to gain enough information and to show interest in what he was interested in that I was able to find things that met those, not only met his passion, but helped him work on something that was a weakness for him. The other thing is that the third mindset shift is that homeschooling doesn't need to feel hard and complicated. I feel like we think of school work, right? That homeschooling, when we run into someone in the supermarket and they're like, oh, we're, why are the kids not in school and you say we homeschool, a lot of people will be like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. That must be so hard. It doesn't have to be hard. When we simplify and we focus on the things that are most important, like the books and the read aloud, the following the interests, the conversations, it, it actually feels lighter and it doesn't need to feel hard to be educational. It can feel lighter and dare I say fun, and you could be learning just as much or more than you would if you had a traditional workbook in front of you. And then the final one that I always like to say is that your if your kid's eyes are sparkling, you're doing something right. Because I think back to being younger and our trips with Ruth and Blanche and their passion for whatever we were doing that day. Like I wasn't into architecture, but they brought us to this really cool exhibit at MIT and we knew MIT was a big deal. And it was really interesting. And because they were interested in it, I didn't know when I was younger that I would be, think glass flowers were cool. What do you, even is a glass flower? What are you talking about? But then you go there and you see them and you see how excited your aunts are. And you're like, this is really cool. A house made of paper? What? I can remember... I could tell you dozens of situations like that where I, that I can vividly remember being with them and learning things from them, either something that I was interested in, they knew that, or something that they were just really excited about that was interesting that they shared with us. And I always go back to that because, because like I said, I was a good student. I can't remember anything in the amount of detail I can remember about these various things. Like when I was doing botany, and creating the playbook for Neverbore Learning, I was so excited that I could share the glass flowers and tell the community that story of being with my great aunts with two younger brothers in a museum with glass flowers that are like 100 years old and could break bananas. And then we were having this whole conversation in Neverborn learning about how I had found, so in the playbooks I include, I try to, it's like a our playbooks are like a lazy unit study. And I try to include every subject, even though it's botany, I'm going to include everything. And there's a documentary in there about the glass flowers and about the cabinets. And have you ever thought about how with some of these art installments that you see, the thought that must go into the design of what the enclosures that they're contained in. And that was a whole other rabbit trail for this family. So there's just, when you find something interesting and you just keep digging into it or layering on the learning for your kids with their interests, there's just so much that can happen. This type of learning is for you if you want to promote curiosity and lifelong learning, if you want to make more connections in your homeschool and have a little bit more fun, if you're intrigued by the idea of keeping homeschooling simpler and not as complicated and not as hard. And if you're struggling to balance all of the things, we all know there's no such thing as balance, but if you're like, how do I get science and geography and history and music? If you're feeling like that, lazy unit studies can help. I am going to include 
links in the show notes to some articles I've written on lazy unit studies. I have a lazy unit studies essentials kit on my website that you can get for free. What else do I have? I have a course on lazy unit studies. It used to be called lazy unit study 101. It's now called the lazy unit the lazy homeschoolers guide to unit studies. If you like this idea, but it's still overwhelming to you, like what that would look like if you have younger kids and you've got a lot going on, if you have babies, if you have a span of ages, I want you to know that in Neverboard Learning, we do something called the playbook every month. The playbook is an ebook that is on a theme. We have always done playbooks since we opened in early 2021, but in December of 2022, we changed the way that they are presented, we really expanded them and they are essentially right now lazy unit studies. And the beauty of it is that they can work for a wide range of ages. You know me, I love rabbit trails. So we have taken, each month has a theme. We're covering various areas. December was winter. January was the seven continents. February was birds. March was botany. This month I'm recording in April is oceans. Next month is South America. So when you think South America and the seven continents, that's very geography heavy. But within each playbook, I have them broken down into rabbit trails by academic area. So we cover STEM, we cover social studies, we cover the arts, we cover language arts, and then we have a just for fun area. We also include extensive book lists, both fiction and nonfiction in chapter books. So whatever age your kids are, if you are in a rural area, if you are overseas, if you're a library doesn't have a lot of books or if holds are hard to come by, I have also created YouTube playlists for nonfiction books and fiction picture books with people reading the titles aloud. Fortunately, during the pandemic, there was a ton of books read aloud online for children. So these are very easy to find. And I've curated these playlists. So you can just scan a QR code or click and you are taken to a playlist that has all of them. So you can accomplish the most important part of your day, either fiction or non, or both if you feel like it. And it's on a particular topic. And then We also have ideas for play inspiration. I have links to things you can do at home, create yourself. I have some Pinterest idea boards for play-based learning at home based on each of these themes. I include game and play-based learning resources, links to those if that's something, if your kid is really has always really been into oceans and you want to spend some of your homeschool budget on a game that you know, will work for years. That is on oceans. You could do that. I have print and play games because not everybody can afford to get a game for every unit study. And so I always include a printable resource. Some past ones that we have done in January, we had seven continents, go fish. So you might think go fish. My kids are older, but I have included QR codes that you scan and they go to a playlist about each place. And also we had in Google Earth and the kids had and the teens in Neverboard Learning had so much fun with Google Earth in January and they will next month too with South America. But we also included a seven wonders memory game and it had the seven new wonders of the world and the seven original wonders of the world. And so it's a memory game, but then there's QR codes and links that you can scan and you can actually Google earth street view, stand in front of the wonder and see it. So really fun. Families had a lot of fun with that. And for botany, we had a scavenger hunt for birds. We had a bird nest memory game, which was really cool. You could see which various type of birds build what type of nests. And then we had about me page for each of the birds and it linked to a playlist. So you could learn all about this type of bird, what they look like, what their nest looks like, their habitat, what they eat. We just, we have had so much fun. And we always say that there's no way that you could do these playbooks that you could go through and accomplish it all in a month. We have included so much because we have a variety of ages We have a variety of stages and we have a variety of interests. So 
we like to think of our playbooks as the menu at your favorite restaurant. So you go in and everything looks delicious, right? But if you were to eat everything, you would have a terrible stomach ache. But so you pick what looks good in that moment and you know that you'll be back. You'll always go back. So all of these playbooks are housed in our resource library and are available anytime. And we just keep adding every month. There's a new one. So eventually you can be planning in the summer and be like, oh, I think I'm going to do an oceans unit study. I'll use the oceans playbook from September through the holidays. And then we'll move on to something else. You could do that. We have members who I can tell you right now, the first day of spring, I had a member tell me that her family was still lost in the original the new, newly revamped first one, the December playbook, which was all about winter. So it was the first day of spring and they were still loving the winter playbook. I had a parent tell me that in the December playbook, the January playbook on seven continents, I had included a page that had some online games and resources that you could use like Google Earth, but there is a game called GeoGuessr and it's free. And her son became obsessed with that. And That was all he used all month. That one bullet, that one game from that one page of a playbook that probably was 60 pages and learned so much from that one thing, that one rabbit trail. I had another mother tell me that her son was so into the January playbook and got so into geography that has now left the playbook entirely and gone off on all these other geography rabbit trails and hasn't stopped being obsessed with geography since January. We Then we have a whole subset of birders in Nevermore Learning who are like, we're with the bird February playbook forever, like birds forever, and they're not leaving. <laughs> They're just having so much fun with that. And then botany, we had tons of plant lovers. And you would think botany is very science nature heavy. And sure it is, but we have so many other things in there. We have some biographies that you could read if your kids are interested in. We have art, not just, we have a playlist that includes art of plants and flowers, but also more scientific art from field guides. We have a link to the glass flowers. That's something that's not really, it is science, but it isn't. It's art and it's just the stem, like how you could even create that all those years ago is mind boggling. We have classical music playlists that are inspired by winter, by oceans, by flowers, plants and flowers. Next month is South America. You're going to be able to hear all of the national anthems. You're going to get to hear, you're going to see a lot of the traditional dances, a lot of the dances that were born in South America that were created there. Just so many rabbit trails. The topic might be, might seem like a science month, but the science, like I said at the beginning, every subject, no matter what your kid is interested in, there is a way to work in most, if not all other subjects if you're willing to be curious enough about it too. If you want to learn more about lazy unit studies and how they might work for your family, I invite you to visit the show notes. I'm going to have links to freebies that are related. I'll have links to a previous episodes we did on lazy unit studies, some articles I've written about lazy unit studies and how you can set them up in your homeschool based on your ages and stages. I'll include a link to the lazy unit studies essential, which is a freebie downloadable PDF on my site. And I'll link to the Lazy Unit Study, the Lazy Homeschoolers Guide to Unit Studies, which is a self-paced online digital course that I created a few years ago and that people adore. And I'll also include links to Neverboard Learning, where you will have access to an entire library of lazy unit studies across a variety of subject areas that include all of the subject areas and work for many ages and stages. And I'll include a link to a sample of a Neverboard Learning Playbook so you can get a feel for what those are like. And so that's lazy unit studies. They were inspired by my two great aunts. They're really not hard. They're very simple. They're very fun. I really think that they create some core memories and that our kids will learn more from a lazy unit study, which really just means a simple unit study, than they would if we force fed them something from a textbook because you're supposed to learn about something specific at a certain time. And so before we go, I just wanted to leave you with that quote again from Alfred Mercier, which is, what we learn with pleasure, we never forget. Bye sisters, I'll talk to you soon. Hey sisters, Kate here. 
As a lifelong gamer, school psychologist, and homeschool mom, I have witnessed time and time again the power of play when it comes to learning. In fact, I truly believe that homeschooling can be almost all fun and games. Now, does that mean it's going to be all sunshine, rainbows, and laughter? Heck to the no way. But I do believe we could all be having a heck of a lot more fun. A playful mindset can transform your homeschool routine and your family life. The best part? You don't need an overflowing game closet to get started. You can be a game schooler today with just a deck of cards, and I'd love to show you how. That's why I created Never Bored Learning. Never Bored Learning is a private online community for creative parents and educators who embrace play-based learning and game schooling. The goal of Never Bored Learning is to play more and learn lots in the process. Your Never Bored Learning membership includes access to monthly guest speakers, live Q&As, monthly day-in-the-life family spotlights, and an ever-growing library filled with printable resources, including documentation resources, challenges, and print-and-play games and activities. But the very best part of NBL is the private online community forum. This is not a Facebook group, and it is hands down my favorite spot on the internet. The community is a vibrant one, filled with creative parents and educators. I wake up every morning before my kids, I pour myself that very first cup of coffee, and I hang out in the MBL community forum. It's my favorite way to start the day, and I'd love to see you there. If you'd like to learn more about Neverboard Learning, visit neverboardlearning.com. That's N-E-V-E-R-B-O-A-R-D-L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G.com. And if you're not ready for a monthly commitment, but you're interested in getting your feet wet with game schooling, I invite you to sign up for our free seven-day game school kickstart, which you can find on mylittlepoppies.com, or enroll in our digital course, Game Schooling 101. I can't wait to show you the power that play can have on your homeschool and family life. I wish you a play-filled year, sisters. Chat soon. Bye for now.